Well, good morning, Southlands. Uh, it's great to be able to honor our kids as they promote, isn't it? Let's find every opportunity we can to encourage uh, our children who've really endured a tough time and acknowledging that, that all of us really have. Uh, one of the dangers of preaching to a camera is that it can feel a little bit like a press release. And uh, I'm thinking of many of you in homes at the moment, uh, very excited about our in-person and in-home uh, gatherings at this time. Uh, but serving you through a camera doesn't give me the opportunity to know how uh, you, you're responding. And I, I think especially after the last two weeks we've had that have been so tumultuous um, and uh, there's such broad perspectives of where people are at. But let's just acknowledge that, man, truth needs to come, but with tenderness. And I'm really going to try uh, my best not to give you a press release. It might not be as sort of clean um, as the 10-minute video that uh, I recorded on our biblical convictions around race and protest. And I want to encourage you to watch that. Thank you so much for your encouragement towards me uh, in that. But this moment is going to be hopefully uh, a mix of truth and tenderness. I hope I can be pastoral and fatherly, acknowledging that all of us are uh, in a place of grief, some in a place of real anger uh, and hurt, all of us scrambling to try and f find grace for this moment. And I'm just praying that the Lord would encourage and give you grace to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Uh, at this time. There's an economist called John Malden who last year predicted that 2020 would be the year of crisis. And uh, he wasn't wrong, uh, was he? He uh, saw the U.S.-Iran tension uh, and the oil crisis that uh, would come from that as a reason, and also uh, the U.S.-China technology cold war as reasons. And he wasn't wrong, but he missed this little detail of a pandemic that gave birth to uh, a medical crisis, uh, a financial crisis, a social crisis, political crisis, and a racial crisis. And so we have lurched from crisis to crisis this year. And I just want to ask us to take a step back this morning and ask a question. Father, what are you doing? What are you doing uh, at this time? Father, you are sovereign and you're at work. What are you doing? And how can we like Jesus, who said in the Gospel of John, I don't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. How can we get a glimpse of what the Father is doing and get behind that with all our hearts, even in the midst of turmoil and, and pain? Because the Father is bringing His kingdom in 2020, the year of crisis. I watched with some envy as those two SpaceX astronauts left planet Earth um, just going, wow, that seems a peaceful place to be. How, how about you? But I want to use that somehow as a bit of a perspective of, man, if we uh, got a few thousand miles away from planet Earth and, and got something of God's perspective, how differently would we, would we live? And I don't pretend to have the whole corner uh, of truth on what the Father is doing. Uh, but one of the things I'm, I'm certain of is that he's wanting us to learn from moments of turmoil and scattering in particular in his people. What he does, how he changes paradigms, 
because it seems like he's doing some similar things now amongst his people as he did when they were scattered in the book of Acts. Scattering always changes people's paradigms. Around the turn of the 20th century, my great-grandmother, who was a Russian Jew, fled Russia because of the Russian persecution of Jewish people. And uh, she arrived in St. Louis, uh, early 1900s, and uh, she met a Jewish electrician called Isidore Cash, and they fell in love. Uh, They got married very quickly, and they heard about a gold rush in Africa, and they just sold up everything, and just on the spur of the moment, they left uh, to find gold in Africa. And uh, they actually didn't get wealthy, but they worked on the mines uh, for many years. I I use that illustration to say scattering actually always tends to change our paradigms, even change our appetite for change and risk, just like my great-grandmother was willing to leave and, and leave again and marry. And man, I'm hoping that the scattering that we have experienced as God's people in these last three months... Uh, scattered from work and from social rhythms and from economic rhythms and from worship would actually not cause us just to go, I just want to go back to normal, but there would be this new normal that God actually changes our paradigms and our practices through scattering, even as we begin to gather again. And so I'm going to uh, talk to you out of Acts 11, a moment of profound scattering of the people of God. And what God did in those people that I believe he wants to do in us. Acts 11 verse 19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And in Acts 13, 1 to 3, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The new paradigms of the scattered people of God. What do we see in this 
Excellent, excellent little uh, passage. Well, more than three things, but for time's sake, I'm going to limit it to three. And the first is that we see that the gospel healed through scattering, healed these people of racism. And the hand of the Lord was, was with them. If we listen really closely to this passage, verse 19 says, you know, those who were scattered through the persecution. So, so Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, caused this great persecution. And Acts 8 actually says, everyone was scattered except the apostles. So you imagine these, these Christians in Jerusalem, mainly Jews, and as they were scattered up and down the Mediterranean Ocean, they preached the Lord, but, but some, it says, only preached to their own people, only preached to Jews. And actually where they were scattered to was mainly non-Jewish regions. And yet there was this very narrow monocultural scattering of the seed of the Word of God. But then verse 19 says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, non-Jews, Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. A little bit of context. Uh, Antioch is about 700 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, it's in uh, present-day Turkey, uh, a very multicultural uh, city. Historians say it was about half a million people uh, at that time, and 18 different ethnicities one of them being Jew, Jewish. And can you imagine being scattered to that city and only preaching to one of the 18 ethnicities? That's what many of the Christians scattered did. And yet there were some that spoke to Gentiles too. And it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Let, let's just stop and, and say, man, tragically, the scattering changed the paradigms of some and not others. Some were locked into a, my people receive the gospel and those people, they don't deserve the gospel. What an anathema, as if anyone deserves the gospel. And, and, and tragically, there's this picture of the hand of the Lord that had moved so mightily in the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church at the time of persecution was about 20,000 people strong. Uh, we'd, 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 we've heard about 3,000 saved and added in one day at Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit and mighty miraculous signs. But it says the hand of the Lord moved from the people that were only preaching to one culture and it moved to those who preached to Gentiles. It's a, it's a very powerful statement. The, the refusal to preach the gospel to other ethnicities actually caused the hand of the Lord to move. I can't put it more plainly than that, that the hand of the Lord is with people whose hearts have been redeemed from racism, redeemed from preference, and actually allow the gospel of reconciliation to cause them to engage people who are different from them. Dan Steele, a historian, uh, notes that there was an incredible diversity in the church in Antioch because they preached the gospel to the 18 ethnicities. And the, the description of the church here 
in Antioch, he says, Paul and Barnabas were both Jewish, but had been raised outside Palestine. Both were fluent in Jewish language and customs, but they also spoke Aramaic. They were multilingual, multicultural, and Greek. He says, and then there's Mannion, a man who grew up with incredible opportunity and ed education within the household of Herod Antipas. And next there's Lucius of Cyrene from North Africa, who may have uh, been one of the initial evangelists who arrived amid persecution and began reaching out to Greeks. And then last but not least was Simeon called Niger, who was most likely a black African. Uh, there was a great diversity in this church because the gospel had spread from ethnicity to ethnicity to ethnicity. And this passage asks us a difficult but very simple question. Do we want the hand of the Lord to be with us or not? His hand, very simply, is with the multicultural, multiracial church. I, I cannot say it more plainly than that and this is one of the things that the lord is doing in scattering he is causing the gospel to come and redeem places of our hearts that are actually racist and and we need to understand that racism is not a political issue firstly it's a bible issue it's a gospel issue the early church struggled with racism beloved and the church today still struggles with it. And we have to understand that racism is not always brutality and hatred, although it often is. And we have seen that this week in terrible ways with the killing of George Floyd, with the shooting of Ahmed Arbery, even with this lady who in Central Park falsely reported a black man. Often, racism is brutal and full of hatred, but very often, especially in the church, it's far more subtle. It's areas of preference. It's areas of ignorance or indifference. It's areas of subtle pride and, and prejudice. And we see in the pages of Acts that the early church wrestled with favoritism. We know the Apostle Peter, a founding father in the early church, had to have this vision from Jesus who said, don't call anyone unclean that I've called clean because Peter refused to eat, eat with the Gentile. There was racism in his heart. Now, if you had asked Peter, Peter, are you racist? He wouldn't have said, yes, I'm racist. He would have just said, I just prefer my own. Often it's very, very subtle. But actually, even though he repented at that time, and did eat with Gentiles and the gospel every time there was engaging and eating with Gentiles it's like the gospel spreads like wildfire but then we find in Galatians 3 that Peter backslid back into just eating with his own and the Apostle Paul had to come and oppose him to his face and say Peter you are not living in line with the gospel again beloved can we see that Racism is not firstly a political issue. It's a gospel issue. When we do not live in line with the gospel, we are saying, oh, no, 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 the gospel only reconciles people to God. Not realizing that the gospel reconciles people to people. The gospel has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between people of different ethnicities. And so we see in the scattered people of God, there is this healing of the divides of racism. And therefore, the gospel spreads like wildfire. That's one of the things that the Father is doing 
at this time. And we need every one of us, but particularly white people, to just be asking, oh Lord, is there, are there subtle forms of racism in my heart that need to be redeemed by the gospel? I first came to the USA as an 18-year-old, and it was 1990, and I was actually part of a multiracial team that spoke about uh, the gospel of reconciliation between races and ethnicities and cultures. And I felt like, man, my heart is right, man. I, I'm, I'm coming to bring healing. And I actually discovered on that trip as a young 18-year-old that there was subtle racism in my, in my heart that hurt one of my team members. I remember we were traveling from Fresno to California in this sort of tour bus that was, so, so we're a band of musicians and actors, and uh, it was really, really tight in there. And there wasn't really enough room for each of us to sit on our own seat with the seat belt, etc. We were crammed in like most musicians do. And uh, there was uh, a closer black South African lady who was my friend called Matsidiso. And I remember her kind of walking up the aisle of the bus to me and saying, would you mind if I just squeezed onto your seat because I don't have room at the back? And I said, no, CD, there's not enough room. And she went back. An hour later, one of the white young ladies on our team came and she said, would you mind if I squeezed onto your seat? And I said, yes. And CD saw this and she came and she just said, why did you say no to me, but yes to her? And my heart was, was crushed. Here I was on a reconciling mission, but actually there was racism in my heart that needed to be redeemed. And this is a moment of, of real soul-searching and humility for, for everyone who believes in the gospel. To say, Lord, has preference or has, has ignorance or indifference crept into my heart? Has resentment crept into my heart? This is a time to, to say sorry. This is a time to, to listen and be attentive. This is a time to drop the idea that, well, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. Do you know... Beloved, with all tenderness, being colorblind is not a biblical idea. Imagine if you just walked around your yard and said, oh, well, man, there's beautiful roses here. But you don't say, white roses, yellow roses, red roses. God creates color. And when we say I'm, I'm colorblind, it actually doesn't do justice to the fact that the Bible describes the kingdom of heaven one day before the throne, every nation, tribe, and tongue. In other words, you will be worshiping, and it won't be monocultural. There will be an Indian brother worshiping. He will still be Indian. There will be a Korean sister, and she will still be Korean and worshiping God in her language. There will be every nation and tribe and tongue and so to be gospel is not to be colorblind to be gospel is to be attentive and honoring of every color and culture and part of that is actually sitting and saying look i don't understand what it is for you in your life experience at this time as a black american or as a korean american or as a latino american tell me what it's like rather than saying i'm colorblind i don't have issues beloved it, it's it requires humility. And as JD said too, part of it is sitting with people like law enforcement officers who are also 
uh, um, experiencing incredible pain and saying, man, I'm not, I'm not going to allow you to be painted with a broad brush. That's r- racism in itself. All police are like that. That's racism in a form. But it's actually sitting and saying, tell me your pain. Tell me your experience. I just want to say again, before I move on to the other points, some of us have been incensed by rioting and, and looting. And, and I get that. Rioting and looting is, is wrong. And as J.D. said, it was so wonderful to be with the other pastors in Brea. We talked to the police department and saying, we are going to be here at the protest. We are going to protest racial injustice, but we're going to be here as agents of peace. And we will do everything in our power to uphold the law and honor law enforcement. Surely that's what the people of God are loving and wise enough to be able to do, to hold intention, calling out the evil of racial injustice, but upholding law and not being pulled away by this lawless spirit. And so let's call out looting and rioting, but let's not allow the wrongness of looting and rioting to overshadow the wrongness of racial injustice that actually resulted in anger bubbling over. I am a pastor. I'm part of the clergy. And I believe many, most clergy actually, are amazing people across the world. But there are some clergy, some pastors that are absolute monsters, especially in the area of abuse of of children. And so I, as part of the clergy, would want to protest the abuse of children by clergy. I believe that's a biblical call. And yet I don't want to be painted with the same brush as those child abusers. I don't want everyone to say all clergy are abusive. Surely we can hold intention that actually some clergy are abusive. We protest against that without painting everyone with the same brush. In, in similar and perhaps more serious ways, let's do that towards law enforcement. To say some law enforcement officers have abused their authority and we call that out. But actually we don't paint them all with the same brush and get into the spirit of lawlessness. Beloved, I'm, I'm appealing to you as a father, as a pastor, let's be above these things. Romans 12 says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. The, the, the church, and I, I caught a glimpse of that this week in downtown Brea, that the church is called to be a peace peacemaking agent, a bridge builder at this time, because the gospel has redeemed us, has forgiven us, has been gracious towards us, and therefore enables us to be gracious towards those who have wronged us. So what is the Father doing? I believe He is bringing greater racial reconciliation as we speak truth, as we listen as we lament, as we repent, as we forgive, as we speak out, and as we act at times. One of the things I just want to point out to us, though, is that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So they were multicultural. They made sure that the gospel went across ethnicities. 
They allowed racism to be redeemed from their hearts. But their deepest identity was not their race. It was that they were Christian. And the same historian that I quoted said, it's almost like in the 18 categories of ethnicity, the city of Antioch couldn't find a category for these people because they were so diverse and so united. The Holy Spirit had united them across their difference. So they just had to find a new category and it was little Christ, Christians. Oh, how I long for the fact that or for the day when we can honor one another's ethnicity, but have our deepest, deepest identity being little Christs in the family of God. People can't categorize us, just say, man, those people are so diverse, but so united. We've got to find another category. I almost, I, I long for us just to not necessarily call ourselves Christians, but to call ourselves disciples of Christ and allow the city to say, you remind us of Jesus, you little Christs. You're so united in your diversity. Let's trust God for that. Okay, I've got five minutes to draw out two other aspects of changing paradigm and the scattered people of God. Because race certainly was one, but it wasn't the only one. The, the second is that they trusted Jesus as Lord despite great suffering. And he gave them a new identity together. It says, verse 23, The hand of the Lord was with them. Many turned to the Lord. He was glad and saw the grace of God. Barnabas urged them to remain faithful uh, to the Lord. This, this phrase, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, comes up again and again and again. In other words, Jesus was not just Savior. He was King. He was boss. And, and Barnabas came as many had turned to the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them and he urged them to remain faithful to the Lord. These people had endured incredible suffering, lost homes and families, loved ones, income, and had found themselves scattered, turned to the Lord. And then in the midst of great suffering, when they must have felt completely out of control, he just said, man, remain faithful to the Lord. Understand that Jesus is not just Savior. He's a sovereign king who is in control. He's the Lord of the wind and the waves in the storm of, of your life. I just want to say whether you are suffering mostly in a scattering storm or a racial storm or an economic storm, an emotional storm, I want to urge you to Trust and entrust yourself to Jesus as Lord. Right at the beginning of this time, one of my friends is just a wise, wise follower of Jesus said, you know, this scattering is going to reveal to us the difference between belief in Jesus as Lord and trusting Jesus as Lord. It's one thing to say, ah, I believe Jesus is Lord, but actually, do we trust him? I've had moments when I've gone, Jesus, I, I do believe you, Lord, but really are you in control? Because this is wild. Entrusting ourselves to Jesus as Lord means that we don't take matters into our own hands, that we remain faithful to Him. I honestly believe, Southerns, that the Lord does not require that we are successful 
right now. What is success after all? In your business, in your home life, in your academic life, even in our, our church life. What is success? What he requires of us is what Barnabas said. Remain faithful to the Lord. Success is, is faithfulness. Success is faithfulness. I love the description of the faithfulness of Barnabas. Who it says he was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I think many of us feel like, man, I, I, I don't just want goodness. I want greatness. I want to achieve. I want to make money. I want to invent incredible things. I want progress. I want productivity. I believe faithfulness to the Lord at this time is not greatness. It's goodness. It's goodness. There was this book that was written, great book, about 10 years ago, From Good to Great. Where it's like good was, was something that was like, mediocre don't just be good be great how many of us feel great at the moment i wonder if the lord jesus is saying no no go from great to good none of us are experiencing greatness right now but actually through the infilling and the power of the holy spirit barnabas was a good man full of the holy spirit and faith god wants goodness he wants faithfulness those are the fruit of the spirit remain faithful to him don't be enamored with achievement and greatness and productivity at this time just be faithful to him finally scattering didn't just produce a, a, a goodness and, and a faithfulness in these people but these people were practically generous with their resources as the holy spirit led them can you imagine losing your income, probably your house, your, your job, and you find yourself finally sort of on your feet. You're probably working the night shift to put bread on the table for your family. But you found Jesus. You've found this family of faith. And, and you're just starting to get onto your feet. Just starting to maybe be able to pay your rent or feed your kids. And this prophet called Agabus comes and messes everything up. He disrupts everything. And this is what happens is that in verse 27, this, this prophet comes down from Jerusalem and he prophesies about a famine that would take place across the whole world. And the book of Acts says it did actually take place, but it hadn't yet taken place. And he calls this little fledgling church, new believers, to take up an offering for the disciples in Judea, which is where they'd been scattered from. This powerful Jerusalem church. Take up an offering for these guys because a famine is going to come. And you're going like, oh my gosh, I've lost everything. I'm just getting back on my feet. And now you're wanting me to open my hands with these resources. And yet they did. They, they so trusted Jesus as Lord. Their money wasn't Lord. Jesus was Lord. And so they had an open-handedness. And when someone came who was credible as a prophet, and the leaders of the church were going, no, no, this is actually a word from the Lord. They took, hear me, they took up an offering before the famine hit. Isn't that amazing? I long for that kind of sharpness amongst our prophetic community, but also amongst us as leaders and the church that we could say, this seems like God is speaking. Let's act right now. Imagine being the, the disciples in Judea and you get through Agabus this offering from this new little church in Antioch. What's it for? Oh, it's for a famine that's going to hit. 
Is that good news or bad news? I mean, it's good news because you've got a bunch of money, but it's bad news because the famine hasn't even hit yet. And these guys have been so prophetic, they've taken up an offering before the famine hits. Can you see how the paradigms are different in this? Different from me. We want like everything fact-checked. We want every I dotted, every T crossed. No, these guys just, they trusted Jesus as Lord. Money wasn't Lord. They weren't holding on, even though they were getting back on their feet. You know, I, I have found, I've said this before, but I, I found during the scattering, it's kind of been a, in many ways, a financial wilderness, hasn't it? For so many of us, we, we've lost much. And it's like we've been asking that question, can God lay a table for me in the wilderness? And there's so many stories of God's provision for people, even as they've lost finance and work. So many stories. It's like the, the manna and quail in, in the wilderness. But I remember what happened when God actually did lay a table for his people in the wilderness as they were scattered. They wanted to hoard. They wanted to hoard the manna and quail. And God said, you, I'm going to provide for you, but don't hoard. And you're saying, Alan, are you saying I shouldn't be saving right now? I mean, the, 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 the future is so uncertain. No, no, no save but ask the lord for the difference between saving and hoarding in scattering we, we want to hoard and the lord wants to prize open our hands and say just just trust me that i'm going to provide for you and be prophetic and sacrificially generous as you give to others that the, as the lord prompts you there wasn't manipulation each person gave according to their faith and according to their ability. I want to thank you, Southlands, for, for doing that. I, honestly, we have been so well provided for and so many have been able to be helped during this time through your generosity. I hope we can get a picture up, but I heard this week that through our food bank, uh, through Ruben and Jack, Jacqueline Segura's incredible leadership, we were able to uh, feed over 600 people. I think 612. We've never fed so many people. And there's a lament in that on the one hand, but there's also joy because people are opening up their hands. We've been able to uh, host blood banks, just opening up our resources. So many of you have done that. Let's continue to be a people as the Spirit prompts that we can actually prophetically intercept famine before it happens. Trusting God for his provision. They weren't just practically generous with their financial resources, though. They were practically generous with their human resources. And I'm going to land with that. Here they are. They found family having been scattered. They're just starting to come together. They're meeting. They're teaching. The Lord is adding to their number. And then they have a fasting and prayer time. I think these people would probably like put their planners and their five-year vision on hold just saying no, no let's just pray because life is so uncertain and they're fasting and praying and in the midst of it the holy spirit says set apart for me barnabas and paul imagine being a new believer who's been discipled by barnabas and paul at this time you're just going oh no not barnabas and paul lord i've just found family i've found these incredible leaders no please lord and yet somehow by the grace of god their hands were, were open and Barnabas and Paul were launched into this new ministry of planting and strengthening churches. And so these people were 
as the Spirit led and enabled them, able to keep their, their, their hands open, both to finances and to people. And so the gospel continued to spread. Let's, let's do that. I want to just land with this short little announcement that we have felt as a leadership team that we would continue our multiplying journey before this whole scattering happened. We were exploring planting in the Santa Ana Orange area. We've called it the Orange Crush. And that's continued to happen. There's been amazing partnership with uh, Olive Crest. We've been able to really work with them in terms of generosity to the poor at this time. There's been prayer. There's been worship. There's been training. And so we're still in a a year-long process, but have felt the Holy Spirit just say, keep on doing that. Keep your hands open during this time of scattering. Don't hoard people. Don't hoard finances. And so we've sensed as a leadership team, the Holy Spirit said, saying, set apart for me, John and Kimmy Marshall, for the work that I have uh, for them. So they're going to be giving leadership to that Southlands congregation. We are at the moment in talks with people who are living mainly in that area about being part of the pre-launch team. It won't happen until 2021, but there's, there's work going on. The Holy Spirit is speaking and gathering a team. And so even as we are scattered and starting to come together again, Let's trust that his gospel would continue leaping over cultural boundaries, leaping over city boundaries, leaping over county boundaries as we are just obedient and generous as his people. Southlands, so thankful for you. So thankful for the spirit of the Lord at work in and through you. As you love the people of God, as you love your neighbors, love your cities, And I am trusting that the Lord would encourage you at this time. That like Barnabas, you would be full of the Holy Spirit and glad because you can see the evidences of the grace of God, even in the storm and the scattering. So God bless you. And we're going to now break bread together.